Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Jumping in at 80, honestly, Skype recording always baffles me. You tap recording on Skype and it just stays silent and then suddenly says you're 18 seconds in. Doesn't even make sense because I'm pretty sure we weren't even sitting here for 18 seconds. But we're back to the Jedi Order Monsterverse, I think is uh, what we can call it now. It's a Monsterverse where we are both big fans of monster films. So we like to every now and again go back and or go back and see what's happened before or see what's happening currently. And this time it's what's happening currently. We're doing a versus episode like we like to do. They're not versus each other. We're just talking about two different films which have kind of some similarities. Uh, And today's picks, The Tomorrow War against Shadow in the Cloud. And we're going to start with Tomorrow War because I'm currently got it on in the background at the exact scene. By the way, if you haven't seen it, I wouldn't listen to this episode because we will spoil it. Um, (laughs) Spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. My first question that came up about this film, which is such, it's just, you know, it's one of those things where uh, it will go past a lot of other people, but it just just annoyed me (laughs) right from the get-go. So these soldiers land pretty much in the middle of what I would say probably is the World Cup final. Um, of, of a soccer slash football game, whatever you want to call it. Um, and they time travel to this instance, so everyone's watching the telly. And initially, so they land on the football field and they address the crowd and I guess everybody else watching on the TV. But there's one, there was one thing that <laughs> slightly annoyed me was the fact of how, how does she already have a megaphone voice? Yeah. <laughs> Well, as soon as she starts speaking, it's it's as as if it's coming through all the tannoys um, known to mankind. <laughs> and uh, but I mean, maybe she's automatically linked up to it. But and also, there suddenly seems to be a camera in the middle of the field. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> like doing a close up right in the middle of the pitch. Maybe it's some sort of future technology that we just don't know about yet, or or from the future they've. They're already linked into the Tannoy system. And yeah. so they're just stepping back into, I don't know. Like, yeah, that was one of the things that I also found kind of quite weird. And also, I mean, generally the football match looked so fake. I mean, all the players are like running one way, like each time that they, yeah. they showed them. And it's just like, oh, this is a kind of a US depiction of the World Cup then. Okay, cool. <laughs> but yeah, I mean... Weird football matches aside, uh, yeah, there's, um, yeah, I mean, The Tomorrow War, and it, um, <laughs> a film, you know, created by Amazon for, you know. 200 think, million, as you've just told yeah, me. I mean, 200, yeah, the low sum of $200 million, and, um, and, I mean, as we were talking before the podcast, we couldn't even find it on the front page of the of the Amazon app, which was quite a weird thing to kind of especially like recapping for the episode. I just wanted to have a you know quick watch and I had to search for it, which I thought was an interesting um, move by Amazon considering they spent so much money on it. But um, I mean, surely, like you just said, if you have a film you spent $200 million to make and you've got one of the most known movie stars of current time, Chris Pratt, in the lead, <laughs> you want a you want like a, a banner on the top of your Amazon thing, even if it's rotation with like a bunch of other content continually at the top with like Chris Pratt's face saying the tomorrow war probably for like three months. <laughs> I mean, I remember when it came out, it was kind of, it had its own sort of whole bar dedicated to it. Um, as like a kind of, yeah, banner, you know, thing basically, te- you know, telling Amazon subscribers like watch this film. Um, and so I, you know, I, I'm, and you know, coming into the podcast, I don't really know what <laughs> that says about the film in Amazon's eyes, but I'm not sure if it's particularly favorable, but, um, 
I don't know. Let, let's kind of I don't know, really get into it. So, I mean, just to recap the film. Yeah, as Ben said, it's about a war in the future, which soldiers are sent back from to essentially recruit soldiers in the present to go forward to fight this alien invasion monster threat, um, which we don't know a whole load about because for some reason they just don't really choose to tell the people they're sending forward much, if anything, um, about the monsters, about training, about the war, about, I mean, that was one of the things I have to say at the beginning of the film. It kind of, I, I mean, you know, I'm viewing it for the second time. I still don't really get it. Um, essentially why they don't train anyone to fight in this war. I mean, they, they kind of have a year from the, the soccer, you know, pitch kind of announcement until like, you know, some, like, until Chris Pratt is sent forward. And, you know, they talk about this threat being, you know, huge to humanity and taking out, you know, I think leaving 30% of people behind or something like that. So obviously these monsters are killing everyone that, you know, is being sent through. And so I just don't really know why they don't like prepare anyone to kind of face this future threat properly. Uh, and it actually just seems, I mean, the kind of first like, you know, war action sequence we get, we get kind of mums and dads and grandparents all being really scared and then flung into a future where essentially they dropped from the sky by accident. Uh, and all I can say is, you know, thank God for uh, rooftop pools, you know, because that's literally what saves <laughs> Chris Pratt and his his allies' lives, you know. <laughs> thank God Miami is so glam, you know. <laughs> um, so, thank yeah. God for rooftop pools. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, yeah, like already in like, the first 30 minutes, you're kind of throwing like loads of information is thrown at you. Um, I mean... From the point of view of Chris Pratt's character, what is he like? A, he's a, he's a, an ex-army man who's a, a science teacher who's trying to get into this facility to to research, and then he's kind of called up to this international draft and sent forwards in time and something that like you know all people in the kind of present fear. Uh, so you kind of see it through his eyes. Um, Which, to, to be honest, it surprised me that his character wasn't called up earlier, considering yeah. he's like a, an ex. Um, sergeant in the army with combat experience and you see loads of like clips of people who really obviously don't have <laughs> any experience of doing exercise let alone combat experience being called up so it was puzzling it took so long and then they didn't even know he was in the army when they were going yeah. through the information as well and then even before they jump through what, what i found kind of weird is that all these people are going into a war where they know they're probably going to die and no one was really that freaked out. Even his like kind of, you know, his his mate, um, his kind of jokey mate. I mean, he, um, you know, who is it played by? Um, by Sam Richardson. Charlie is his friend's uh, name, and he was like telling all these jokes about. I think we're going to be best friends, and it's like, well, you're not going to be best friends for long, mate, because I mean, you know, you're probably. <laughs> I mean, you're going into a pretty deadly situation, but yeah, like. It was quite a weird sort of start, I found. Um, and I'm not really sure if it ever kind of really justifies it. But um, yeah, and then you're kind of like thrown into the wartime, you know, scenario. And, uh, you know, realities are kind of being told. And I mean, yeah, this is a, it's a film that jumps around quite a lot, I found. Like besides the time traveling, you know, it kind of jumps around where it's like, you know, they're kind of in Miami and then they're in uh like a kind of another base in the Dominican Republic and he meets his his daughter who's older in the future and she has a weird relationship with him uh this is Chris Pratt and and his daughter again like this is kind of part of this whole thing I mean the, it's good that we kind of chose the Tomorrow War and Shadow in the Cloud like, like I was saying to you before the podcast um you know for this comparison because both of them you know I think the, the similarity between them is that they take about like 10 different genres of film and smash them together into like these sort of monster war films. Uh, but then you've got like these domestic issues at hand and, you know, in both of them, really. I mean, we'll talk about Sharon the Cloud later, but, you know, Tomorrow War, you've got, you know, his daughter looking at him and telling him that, you know, you wouldn't like the sort of person I know you as. And, uh, Things don't turn out how, how you want, you know, in the kind of previous timeline. And then, but then things change once he goes forwards and they fight alongside. I mean, there's that kind of aspect. You've got the, the whole alien monsters. You've got 
the war, of course. You've got this comedy kind of weird little, you know, thread running through that as well. So, you know, which makes the, the whole thing kind of really odd considering they're fighting these, like, actually, like, incredibly deadly. And, you know, I mean, I have to say the monsters are designed very well and are incredibly freaky in this film uh, and deadly. So, you know, I quite like that about it from a monster point of view. But, yeah, the other kind of parts of it really... Yeah, fill up the time with a lot of um, kind of mishmash, I suppose, is what I could say. I mean, what, what do you reckon, Ben? <laughs> um, <clears throat> there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on in kind of fast forward motion, especially at the beginning. Um, I think like it's it's a hard thing to do monster movies on this scale uh, these days. But there there are obviously some flaws I think which in terms of just the script side of things which easily could have been changed and swapped out and made kind of seamless and they're not they're not errors in the sense that it affects the whole entire outcome of the film or ruins a whole entire character it's just certain things like you just mentioned the kind of the fast forward into um being sent to this war in the future without any real training or anything like that and yeah it's 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 a it's an interesting concept and it is a bunch of movies all kind of not a bunch of movies a bunch of genres all smashed together what it does have going for it though in the sense that i feel let's do a let's do a little um download on the monster itself the main monster that's obviously causing this problem well, white spikes, I believe. The white spikes, yeah. I, these are one of my favourite monsters. I reckon of recent times, oh. it's always hard to come up with new monsters because I feel everyone pins you back. If you're if you're coming up with a monster which is threatening and causing loads of problems with humans, people go back to aliens or predator straight away. But. <clears throat> I felt the white spikes were threatening enough in the sense that it's good to see uh, a monster which is so relentless that it's it is pretty much really hard to take out. And they sh well, <laughs> here they go. They shoot white spikes, oh. <laughs> which is obviously where they get the name from. Um, which did puzzle me on one particular scene because it didn't click, and then I just saw these soldiers from a distance get wiped out. I'm like, the monsters didn't even get there. Uh, but then I realised it's obviously because of the white spikes uh, they shot, and they come from an alien planet. That's right. From, so this is one particular thing that um, I found very interesting. Now, I'm sorry, guys, we're jumping all over the place in terms of part. Just like the film. Just like, just the, like the film. film. Just like the film. So, time travel. As Ozif mentioned, we got Chris Pratt jumping into the future. There's the, also this sense, there's this backline underlining story that this is all about relationships and family and dysfunctional families. And that's what you have with Chris Pratt's family. You have a father who abandoned him when he was young and you effectively have him doing the same thing to his daughter unintentionally in the sense that he jumps forward to the future 30 years and finds out that one of the people in charge of leading the well she's like commander of the I don't know what you call them the she's the one I think who comes up with the time travel device as well yeah she, she might come up with the time travel device but anyway so when Chris Pratt's in the future he finds out that he actually he didn't make it that far into his life he passed away he got separated he left his family and then he dies in a car accident, which obviously we don't see because we've jumped with this present time Chris Pratt into 30 years in the future. So his daughter's got a very hard relationship with him. He had a hard relationship with his father and the relationship with his partner. Obviously, they split up. And this is it's almost like this war, as well as causing devastation, is also correcting their family. Yeah. <laughs> um, for like Thank God for it. Yeah, thank God for the war, eh? Um, so actually, the war ends up saving his family um, in some particular instance. But the most intense family therapy we've ever seen on screen, I have to say. Yeah, yeah. But the, for me, the, the scene or the 
sequence that I enjoyed the most out of this whole entire thing was, funnily enough, where I thought the film was coming to an end, and then it wasn't. Then there was another, like, 15 or so minutes, and it's pretty much... He has a whiz kid within that he's a science teacher, teaches kids, and you have a reference right at the beginning that one of these kids is obsessed with volcanoes. Uh, a lovely little playback. Um, and then when you when it goes to finding out where these creatures came from they find out on their skin i think it is that they have some volcanic ash from a particular time period in a particular location within planet earth which doesn't make sense as to where they first appeared yeah so, so yeah it, it, that that's kind of one of the things within that no one knows when the war starts because they don't know where the aliens land or if they, you know, well, we've come to find that they don't ever land really in the present day. They've always been here. Yes. Um, which is so. You know, so this, this is this is the big thing. They thought so. They were there, you know, from I think it's a hundred years. Is it a hundred or so years or or longer? I th- I feel like it might even be longer. It might be like. Um, it might it might be longer. Like a but thousand maybe. Even, maybe a thousand but... years. So they crash landed in russia um and then was frozen in the ice and the only way they eventually come out is because the ice thaws um and then they are released into the world and causing this catastrophe that they cause but the scene that i want to talk about which is the most intriguing scene so chris pratt you know along with this volcano science kid forms like an underground army as the world's going to crap because they've come back um, and they know that the world doesn't exist in the future and it's all gone, so people are doing the crazy looting, apocalyptic type thing that they always do. Yeah, so they travel to where this volcano is, which is in Serbia, Russia, or something around that particular. And this is the sequence that I enjoyed the most. I enjoyed them going to find this spaceship, because mainly because I just like... I just like this isolated sequence. It's almost separate from, it's like a short film separate from the rest of the movie. Mm. This kind of little snow adventure to find these aliens. And I love it when they find the crashed site and the, well, the crash site and the crashed uh, spaceship. Within it, they find the pilots. Yeah. And the pilots are obviously a different species some sort of alien themselves which very much represent very much um look exactly like i want to is it bossa from star wars the um bounty hunter if you if you go sorry uh star wars fans for not getting him uh his name off the i think it's boss bosk bosk sorry it's bosk if you google boss b-o-s-s-k um, obviously not all of you, just ours yeah. can as well if you want. Um, they resemble Bosk. It was like a team of Bosks. <laughs> the bounty that, yeah. transporting. It's like Star Wars meets the Tomorrow War. Maybe they've connected it. This is a connecting Star Wars. Um, and maybe there's a lightsaber on that ship. I don't know. But <laughs> I absolutely love that particular sequence and what I thought so reading a particular article and I love how they write these articles because there's no official numbers anywhere but according to per screen engines post VOD audience summary Uh film ranks as the biggest live action streaming movie of the summer so supposedly it was popular yeah (laughs) which Uh automatically talking about let's make another one and i yeah. kind of feel if you were going to make a film like this knowing this is amazon don't have not launched a huge amount of big big movies that they've invested a lot of mo- money in really have they mm. that have been amazon originals yeah what i what i feel is you should have had after all this kind of ends you should have had that slow camera panning back down under all the snow and ice into the spaceship where it's all you know on fire and mangled and there's one one alien egg left or one little cell and you just see the alien go (laughs) up to the ending that's how you end these movies are that's what should be done 
that's typical of an action war alien family drama film you know like you just want to have you know some more drama at the end remaining you know it, it's funny that you mentioned like alien and predator uh kind of in this film as well as star wars because there's a lot of, i feel that the monster is almost like a hybrid of like alien and predator uh kind of combined together with its kind of you know the big jaws kind of in people's faces as well as the way it moves and the body of it it has like that of a xenomorph um and yeah it's kind of alien versus predator movie-esque yeah yeah yeah, yeah. in part setting like frozen things in the ice yeah i mean it's it's it so this is kind of as a kind of monster alien fan um and like even thinking about films like predator and actually you know it's funny that you like mentioning that last scene that last scene you know where they find the alien spaceships and that is kind of reminiscent of like the predator 2 film i don't know if you've ever seen that in la where you know eventually uh danny glover is the actor um he finds like a kind of the predator spaceship and it's kind of similar in that way where it's like oh it's an alien spaceship and we have to either destroy it or you know do something with it um so they also put did the first like multiverse reference within that particular scene because there's a uh xenomorph is that how you say it yeah xenomorph yeah there's a xenomorph skull on the ship's wall on the predator ship's wall yeah yeah absolutely yeah so it i feel that like the film does take a lot of kind of story beats but what what's kind of i think kind of my issue with this film um in that like you know you have a really kind of well-designed alien and clearly it's come from another planet and i wonder whether the sequel kind of will, will take more of that sort of context building into into play uh, i have no idea what they're going to do with the sequel really because i mean to be honest i mean the tomorrow war ended yesterday really um well, okay. i guess you would actually have to bring back the aliens that brought the other aliens yeah exactly so that, yeah. that's kind of i feel that's your only natural progression there but the so the issue i have with that is that like we don't know anything about those aliens and no. actually this is kind of the like i think an issue with the film really for me is that like we, we're not really exposed to like you know the white spikes which aren't the main aliens really um until about like 45 minutes in which is quite a long time to kind of you know have a monster film without a monster really um but then like you know just the kind of whole context of it obviously they don't know where these monsters have come from and all this stuff i think the funny thing for me is that like you know the kind of as you said like you know there's the scene where um they eventually well chris pratt is essentially uh, probably the the first person on earth to analyze one of these monsters properly and find out about that volcanic ash thing and i mean for me i found that very funny that given that you know 70 percent of humanity has been sacrificed on this war and there's like, you know, and I, I think at one, even more, at, you know, because at one point they say that in the future, there's only 500,000 people left, etc. They figured out time travel, but they have not figured out how to like analyze this monster in a lab, you know, and like find out what it's made up of, you know, the fact that it does stem from Earth and it's been in this kind of volcanic ash. I mean, it takes for Chris Pratt and a kid from school. You know, and his and his mate Charlie as well to essentially deduce it themselves and sort of save humanity. And like, whilst okay, I, I get it. Like, okay, it, it takes until Chris Pratt to come along. But as I said, like they figured out time travel. You know, they're sending people like waves and waves of people into the future. You know, for this sort of endless war. But they just and like, which obviously involves science. You know, but I feel that they haven't left out this huge part of science, which would have been the real key to defeating it, which is biology. You know, I mean. I, I just find it amazing that it takes so much sacrifice. And, you know, and this is kind of the funny thing with certain monster films. It's like how, like, the folly of man's sort of knowledge or, like, I don't know, like, I, I just, like, find that, like, sometimes human, humanity is, like, not sensible enough in, in this way, you know, to, like, kind of save itself, you know. And in this movie, I was like, I can't believe you. It's taking Chris Pratt, you know, and, like, hundreds of thousands of millions of people, you know, dead until they eventually they say, like, oh, they're actually from this planet and this is where they are and and i have to say also them finding the spacecraft in siberia i mean is like incredible because siberia is like ginormous you know it's like a continent in itself and and you know they just kind of like 
bop along with their little team <laughs> and like find this spacecraft in like the middle of nowhere. I, I just, I, I found those beats. I mean, obviously, you know, it's to move the story along and whatnot. You have to, you know, there is some, you know, artistic license, which is kind of, I suppose, you know, taken advantage of. But um, yeah, I don't know. There was, there were certain things in this film where I was like, I can't believe humanity is like doing these things or making such an effort in these areas. But then in these other areas, it's like so lacking that, I mean, like, I mean, the fact that Chris Pratt is the one who finds out they're from Earth, like, well, well into the war is just, I don't know, I just find that very funny and kind of almost a bit ridiculous. And, you know, it's just one of those things of perhaps if they had, like, focused less on the family stuff and more on the research stuff, then, you know, it would have been uh, a better outcome. But, yeah, I don't know. That was, so that's kind of a, just a funny, you know, I think, I think there's a reference or also in that scene with the line along the lines of needle in the haystack kind of thing yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Find it and then someone just sets off a bunch of grenades and goes there it is yeah exactly yeah yeah it's just it's, re- it's really easy when they really put their minds to it that's what i can say but before that's really hard when they get enough explosives it's really easy to find spaceships <laughs> enough explosives in siberia just blow their arctic tundra to to dust you know it, it, if funnily enough it makes one hole in like a cave type hole that they go down and just like well there it is <laughs> yeah. also a- another line i found really funny is when they were talking about the time travel device and one of the soldiers says it's being held together with chicken wire and chewing gum and it's like oh is it is that what time travel can consists of just a few ragtag thrown together a bunch of ingredients with a bit of science and yeah. oh, hey you got time travel it's like and, oh. uh, when we saw it Later on, it definitely looked a slightly bit more advanced than chicken wire and chewing gum. Yeah, and, and I, I do like the scene, I have to say, where it's kind of like on the oil tanker and it, it's all quite epic and that's where the base is. And then, you know, the monsters kind of invading that point is pretty... That was a good scene. I, I did like that. I mean, I have to say, like, the CGI, you can see where they've spent a lot of the money on this film, which is like yeah, on the monsters. Money is 100% gone on the monsters themselves because you don't really at any point watch those monsters and feel oh that's a that's a bit cgi or that's yeah. not well done they are they are very well done it is the best element of the film to yeah. be fair that is a hundred percent where a lot of the 200 million has gone yeah i felt i felt that like a lot of the praise as well from the film like came you know on on the monsters really that like people they were actually like quite freaky and i think that's what like where i kind of i was a little bit disappointed that at the beginning they didn't involve more of the monsters kind of into the storyline and maybe you know, like if they had done some sort of breakdown analysis of them and saying like, this is what we know about them. And, you know, this is, you know, it would have built more up to the war itself. But instead, you know, I suppose it's, you know, the feeling of kind of being in the character that you, you know, like the characters in the film, that the, the whole war is kind of unknown and they don't know what they're getting into, which, okay, it builds some suspense, but it's also a little bit, I don't know, for, for a kind of, you know, creature feature, it feels, and <laughs> It's weird because you don't find out kind of until they're on this, you know, I mean, they capture the female like monster. I'm just looking now uh, on my screen and yeah, they capture the female monster and do the analysis, you know, with his daughter. And that's where they kind of find out about it, which, again, you know, it, I, I'm, I'm amazed that it took them that long to really like capture a monster and then do that sort of analysis on it because they should have really been doing that since the start of the war, really. Like, it feels like a kind of reverse way of fighting um which i thought you know i mean i have to say like the one thing and also another thing that they do get right is the time travel aspect i mean like you know the, the two kind of points and sending people kind of back and forth between them that apparently does make sense so you know i don't know i just found that with the tools at hand it was a, a funny kind of outcome to the whole thing but um yeah i don't know overall like what do you reckon ben i mean Overall, I feel like apart from like a couple of um, a couple of story blips, which is always inevitable if you're going to take a monster movie on a like apocalyptic world stage. I feel there's quite a lot of things you have to think about for the reason to be why only a couple of people can figure out how to defeat them. Um, overall, I found it very enjoyable. Still, though, uh, I feel it's a solid like seven, seven, seven. Point four three out of ten for me because the monsters are great. Um, you've got great talent in the film: J.K. Simmons, Chris Pratt, 
Um, Sam Richardson, who I think is hilarious. Um, so I, I think overall, this is definitely, there's definitely a lot they could build on. If they wanted to do a sequel, go for it. Just think a tiny bit more about the elements of the story which are going to make sense. Um, it's quite funny sometimes, isn't it? Because, uh, and I'm sure if I wrote a monster movie, I would make a bunch of mistakes. But it, it's always quite interesting when you think of certain mistakes that no one at any point in time goes, yeah, but how 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 has that happened? Yeah. <laughs> like through the development uh, side of things. but Or maybe it's just with films that are on this such of a scale, it's almost impossible to write anything without something being wrong. I, I guess maybe there's just too many loose ends to tie up to think about. But I would definitely, I would 100%, I feel it's a film I could watch again um, for certain action sequences, not so much for the family drama of the daughter-dad reconnecting. I could skip that bit. But um, I, I could watch the action sequences again and still thoroughly enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, for me, overall, kind of, I'd probably give it a lower score than what you gave it. I'd probably give it somewhere between, like, five and six, because I, yeah, yeah, as we said, like, Appreciate the, hard the man to please, ladies and gentlemen. Artic is a hard man to please. Just, I just, you know, it's just when I kind of, there was a lot of points in the film that I kind of chuckled at, and I didn't know if I was supposed to chuckle intentionally or not, because obviously there is comedy in the film and little lines which are really, you know, kind of oddly placed to like, you know, uh, to give you a chuckle. But um, that's what you get with Sam Richardson, though, as well. He is very good at delivering kind of one liners. Yeah, but it, it, there's even like kind of, um, I mean, it's him, and also you know, I, I think with the when they first kind of deployed in battle, and you have the other soldiers as well who are there, kind of all like, oh, this is good, or like these kind of funny lines when they're literally about to go into like their death. You know, it was almost a bit. It felt like the tone was a bit misplaced, and I think for me, like, yeah, the monsters look good, and the action is clearly like you know quite intense and you know there's lots of things that happen and clearly they get value for money because they're throwing so much money at it um but i don't know i just found that the, yeah the script and the kind of writing it, like it wasn't like that it didn't make sense it just felt that it was slightly all over the place in terms of what they wanted to do as a film you know it starts off and it's like really serious but then it gets kind of funny and then it gets serious again and then it just ends up being serious and then but then funny again at the end. And so, you know, like we, we, we talked about this, you know, with like, it reminded me of like Star Wars episode one, you know, the whole silly serious tone that you've got like very serious situations. And then like, oh, here's a character who makes a joke of it all. And like, lols, you know, it's the end of the world. But hey, have you ever thought about extreme volcanoes? And it's like, okay, I, I, I just felt that they couldn't really just, and this is kind of a thing with monster films, like in between all the monster bits, you know, you have to have something that's kind of, it moves the story along, it's entertaining. And here I felt that they chose too many things. You know, they chose like comedy, they chose family drama, they chose, you know, this time travel thing. I mean, it was like, there was a lot to kind of squeeze in and I really never, I, they never really developed anything properly in a way. It's like, so I, I don't know, I just felt that it kind of missed Maybe if they had, like, you know, taken one or two of those elements out, like, maybe the comedy thing. I mean, I, I'm not even sure if, like... But I feel that they kind of, like, throw that in to, like, keep the energy up, you know? Um, but then, you obviously, you know, it's kind of funny because then you have something like the family drama, which kind of saps the energy down because all of a sudden it becomes quite emotional and, you know, sort of having to deal with, like, reality outside of this war. And, you know, so you're kind of there, like, ah! And then, like, oh, my God, it's, like, sad. And, you know, will, will they ever be, like, parent you know parent child kind of normality again sort of thing and so i don't know i i i, don't, I wouldn't say the writing was bad i just wouldn't well i don't know, i just wouldn't say it was good you know it, it kind of made sense overall but i just think that and i mean you know the movie is like two hours and 20 minutes you know pretty long for like an it's action long movie isn't it yeah like an action war type thing so i just felt that like they could have maybe used the time a bit better and like maybe made it shorter and like taking, yeah, as I said, one of those genres out and just made it more of a intense kind of film. You know, it, feel, it feels like maybe it was like too drawn out at points. And that's what kind of 
loses some of the intensity of it. Um, and yeah, and that you just have kind of themes that are like sort of presented but not developed as, as such. They're kind of, I feel that like, you know, it, it, the film almost time travels within itself. You know, like they present a theme, they don't pick it up until much later in the film, you know? And so, and it, it does that with a few things. So I don't know, for me, it was a bit, I, I'd probably give it like a 5.5 a to a six or something. Um, maybe around a five even because I don't know. It, it was just, I was expecting more, I think, you know, I think with like these, like this caliber of kind of, you know, having someone like Chris Pratt in the, in a leading role and he's, you know, proving himself as an action star, you know, from like, and an action star who can do like comedy as well. And he was actually one of the points of like non-comedy. Actually, he was incredibly serious throughout. Like, I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy and, you know, and Jurassic World, I mean, he can do action and comedy and yet he has no comedy in it. Um, so, I mean, you know, he plays a very straight role. Um, probably wouldn't say it was his best role but, but I, don't know, I think I was probably expecting more from him um in the way they had written it um but you know I mean let's see if the sequel can like give us a bit more context a bit more you know um a bit more life to the war really uh maybe maybe see something from the alien side like why they want to invade the planet and why they're unleashing unleashing these white spikes to basically eat everyone I mean yeah so yeah, that's kind of, you know, where I am on it. <laughs> that's, that's where Artif is on that particular one. So why don't we move across to Shadow in the Cloud, which is, whilst having similarities, is a very, very different movie um, from the get-go. Shadow in the Cloud seems like a film that usually wouldn't get made to this particular type of quality if it wasn't for this is one thing you have to sometimes thank the New Zealand Film Commission for because New Zealand Film Commission do seem to really put money behind projects that are homegrown projects and of course when having Weta Digital and Weta Workshops which are the, is the company that came out of Lord of the Rings for mm. special effects um, at at their disposal almost it means that you know if wetter is involved usually the quality when it comes to the special effects side of things is very high yeah. and it's something that you usually don't have to worry about now shadow in the cloud is like a is a film which is i would say once again it's that science fiction it's that paranormal style it's drama it's action it's a war film it's set in 1943 and it's set in new zealand um well i think it starts at auckland new zealand uh, auckland air base um in new zealand and it's all with has the lead character chloe grace mortez the actress probably best known yeah. for the kick-ass movies yeah. um and she's great <laughs> yeah yeah she's done. she's done some great stuff she's also done some awkward films but um you know I think that's all part of an actor in yeah. this world, really. <laughs> I love that. She's done some awkward films. <laughs> um, but this is, so this is a very different style. And these particular types of movies I do sometimes really like in the sense that when it's the whole entire sequence and point of the film, near enough to a certain extent, takes place kind of in real time in one particular location. And so you kind of know from the get-go who your characters are and who everyone's going to be because you know you're isolated in this one particular situation. So it's just seeing how this situation folds out. And this is her character is she's getting aboard this aircraft as not as a stowaway, but someone who's commissioned to get on board. Well, so we believe is commissioned to get on board this aircraft to deliver a package which um, is of high value um and is like they can't open it can't look in it it's if she's got a note from the general or whoever's the leader of the army <laughs> at that particular time she's also not wanted on this uh space uh, spaceship not <laughs> war aircraft bomber aircraft from the get-go um and it's an it's an interesting one the po the the reviews 
both user reviews from like Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb and critical reviews are completely, it's either you like it or you really don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of where those reviews are sitting, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I, after watching this film, uh, I was really curious to see how the reviews would turn out for the user reviews. And I was kind of a little bit surprised that like, yeah, it was they were so overwhelmingly negative um like a lot i mean a lot of them were um and i i mean for me i watched this film not really knowing anything about it i think you had told me to kind of check it out and you know and again i'm like you you know i i love these kind of b movie sort of monster films especially when they start someone famous this is not by any means this is not a tomorrow war 200 million dollar film this Absolutely. is 100% a B movie, which I believe is made on something like a 15 or so million budget or something along those lines. Yeah, I mean, in terms of budget, let's see. I can't really. They don't really give away too many figures from what I'm seeing, but it didn't feel that it was like cheaply made. But if yeah, you're absolutely right in that, it doesn't feel like $200 million. I mean, you know, the first 50 minutes really takes place in. in one little cockpit really um that chloe grace moretz's character is sort of um like kind of like locked into uh really so yeah um so i yeah i don't really know what to think watching this film and watching it um i did kind of like with the tomorrow award there were points where i was laughing at the absurdity of it um <laughs> i think it was entertaining but again it was like there were so many things that were being thrown at the viewer throughout the film in terms of the action and the script and like you, it was kind of enjoyable because you didn't know what was coming next but it was also kind of a bit disconcerting because of what had gone before you know um yeah again you know like tomorrow would like we'd said it was it's like a, a extreme mashup of like genres you know you've got like the whole i mean it's based in like world war 2 and they're flying somewhere over the pacific i think to samoa um and then you've got like rumors online is that it was 20 million the budget for this 20 million one. okay so 10 percent of uh, the tomorrow war yeah 10 percent uh, of tomorrow war yeah so yeah i mean you've got like the kind of war thing and then you've got this character like the first 50 minutes as, as i said it's like based mainly in one cockpit that chloe grace moritz is talking to the other crew members over the radio so it almost feels a bit like a a play or something or you know like a character play yeah where you've just got the whole like dialogue playing out and you know pretty much extreme close-ups of her face you know which i mean she's you know a very beautiful girl so it's not the worst thing that you can watch but it's also a bit like okay this is quite a bold choice to make as a film you know, to create this film that i mean you've kind of i mean uh, what i was expecting to be this sort of action is you know for the first part essentially this kind of uh, wartime drama, maybe, um, is the way to kind of, you know, uh, describe it. Until, um, you know, Chloe Grace Moretz's character, let, let me find that out, actually, so I don't keep referring to it, which, uh, Flying Officer Maud Garrett, so Maud Garrett. Um, <laughs> until, yeah, so, and then everything changes when she sees that there's, this plane is, has a gremlin on board, essentially. Or like a gargoyle, like an actual gremlin we're talking here, people. Like, you know, we're talking yeah. actual gremlin because for some reason when this film starts, it starts with a, like a 1960s Looney Tune-esque cartoon talking about gremlins yeah. um, in the wartime. And then this, which is a very obviously strange way to start a movie. But yeah, that is it. About that, yeah. yeah, that is the monster we're dealing with. It's called a gremlin, but don't by any means think of the gremlins <laughs> yeah what they look like it probably looks like um uh, a stretched out a very stretched out version of that um with a kind of rat deformed ratty type face um and it's winged as well but it's it's almost like infiltrated the ship that's the thing it, it's the first real instance of this movie one is the fact that they don't want her on this plane and they're trying to ascertain why she's on this plane. And the second is then her trying to convince them that this monster exists and it's on the plane. And I feel this comes majorly after they uh, call back to 
the airbase to find out there isn't actually anybody that goes by her name or there wasn't any executive order that they could find out. So they they find out it's all a ruse almost. So which is it's a ruse because she's trying to she's running away from a violent relationship and she's running away from because she has a baby and she's trying to transport as we knew in that particular time if you were part of the war effort and if you were a soldier in the ranks in any way and then you wanted to get away from it it was a lot of the time seen as des- like deserting your position and it's a- against the law at that particular time um so that's what she's trying to do that is that is the be on end or she is trying to get away from the demons that in terms of violent relationship and she's trying to get away with her child uh, with also her partner who ends up being on this uh yeah. plane as well <laughs> her current yeah. partner not the yeah. one that's abusing her <laughs> yeah the father of the child we should like say yeah as well yeah. so you could say i mean i don't know maybe the the gremlin on the ship is like i don't know maybe a metaphor for her relationship back home that she's just fighting off this evil figure gremlin type you know to for to save her baby because essentially yeah i mean you know the baby probably would have been at risk if the husband had if she had stayed with her husband so i don't know maybe we're looking too far into it but i I feel that maybe that you know if you want to kind of look at it in a sort of smart hat way you know uh that's the you know what you can pull from this um but obviously yeah with the gremlin i mean the funny thing is is that so we're i mean we have to assume that this gremlin has always been on this flight um and the gremlin starts screwing with the the plane's like mechanics yeah and this is what i found kind of funny so then they're blaming you know uh what was her name um garrett's character uh, well garrett uh you know chloe grace moretz's character um officer garrett they're blaming her for the kind of malfunctions um which obviously she can't do because like how the hell can she like reach a wing from you know this kind of you know cockpit which is situated under the plane it's like a gunner cockpit that she's in so then they're there you know blaming her for all this stuff because it's all going wrong which i thought was kind of hilarious because like surely they've always had or maybe they haven't uh, you know had this gremlin on board kind of screwing with things and then you know but they do say at one point that the air force talk about this kind of there being gremlins in the air force and these sorts of things but no one's ever really seen it it's a bit of a legend um so yeah, I thought that was kind of funny that they kind of gave her so much like <laughs> credence to um, you know, uh to like really what she's doing there. Um so yeah, like once the gremlin kind of shows up, it, it all becomes a bit like mental really. Like it goes from, you know, being in a kind of one room um play to essentially this sort of action wartime film. You know, I mean you know her battles with the gremlin you know kind of i mean she's climbing under the the plane she's um i mean holding on for dear life off like kind of you know very precariously um balanced beams and you know saving her baby in the bag you know at points from like dropping into like you know the the sea or the jungle i mean you know it really does get quite mad afterwards and <laughs> But then, you know, obviously, like, she's also fighting with the fact that she's trying to convince the crew that there is such a monster that is, like, ripping off doors and, and destroying planes. And she... <laughs> so, I mean, you know, again, like, this film is throwing so much at you that you're kind of like, when you're first watching, it, you're trying to just process what's going on. And for me, I found a lot of points that I was kind of laughing at this because it's just so, like, oh, my God, what's coming next? Like, yeah. It's just so absurd and intense and, you know, I don't know, I, I, d- d- with the kind of action sequences, like, were you also kind of a little bit like, wow, this is, like, kind of on the edge of your seat in a way, but almost because it's like, I don't know what the hell's going on, but it's just mad, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's completely mad because at one point they're kind of fighting a, a Japanese air attack and then the next point they're also fighting a gremlin at the same time yeah. and it's obviously it's all I mean it's got the insanity factor of I believe what uh, airtime battle would be like in the war unbelievably unpredictable and all over the place because there's <laughs> there's many a moments where she like eventually fights her way to being back onto the plane itself after the malfunctions of the um uh under i don't know what it's called 
the the little cockpit yeah. at the bottom of the plane where you shoot the guns from. But there's a there's a moment almost where she, she gets confronted by some of the people on, and they're just like, "Why are you still here?" And then it's like, and he's dead. And then yeah. she she just moves on. <laughs> through the aircraft but i guess at the same time that's probably kind of what it was like because none of these planes were bulletproof as such they you know they were made with the best type of metal they had available to at that particular time but around from any particular plane would be able to just put holes through that quite easily yeah so it is it's an insane 80 minute ride almost that I can see quite easily why a lot of people would have problems with it because yes the story is all over the place and yes the sequences that unravel are sometimes just just insane uh, in the sense of what's happening but for me personally I actually thoroughly enjoyed this film, even though it didn't, you know, in some instances, and I kind of forgave it for not making sense. I enjoyed it on the fact that, one, it doesn't go on for too long. This film is like 80-something minutes in full length, and that's including about 10 minutes of credits at the end. So it's effectively like just over an hour-long film, which is what it should be. It shouldn't be any longer than it currently is. Um and it is insanity, but I feel the insanity of the storyline within the film fits in the time of 1943, where in the sense of where the world was, I feel insanity was all over the place in the sense of situations and, and, and ch chucking a monster in, um, which when we talk about the monster, the monster looks really good. The special effects on the monster is really good. Some of the special effects sequences when the plane uh, is having like almost dogfights in the clouds, in lightning storms, is all very good. At no point do you kind of look at it and go, oh, the special effects is really crummy in this particular section. It all looks pretty atmospheric and pretty cool. Um, so kudos especially for that. I'm not saying this is the best written film. I'm not saying by any means is it an amazing monster film that you should definitely have on your list to watch. But for me, what I kind of feel is for a film that is 70 to 80 minutes long, I feel you can sit down and just enjoy this and not really have to think too much about it. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with you in that point. Like, I feel, I feel what I'm saying is like I feel there's a difference with a film that has 200 million pounds or dollars spent on it with investment of talent and writing and all that type of stuff to a film that is a tenth of the budget that really I feel that's why if this film had spent 200 million dollars on it then no it doesn't make sense at all for this film to be what it is but I feel with it having a fraction of the budget of that gives it the kind of free realm to be what it is to because I feel when you look at the people who write it the people who direct it these are up-and-coming filmmakers so it's almost like a really glossy um, final piece of a, like a university team that have made this movie that's that's why it's 100% bona fide b-movie status for that exact reason and that that's why when all that information comes together, that's why I feel I enjoy this movie because it. I I'm just in a completely different frame of mind when I'm watching this movie compared to a big budget uh, box office monster film. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and yeah, I agree with you on like uh, various points of those, namely that like it it. So for a B movie, I mean, I when you recommended this to me, I watched this. Um, late at night usually on like a friday or a saturday i like watching these sorts of films like where there's like action and some weirdness going on and kind of you don't really know what to expect something that's not also too long as well so it doesn't drag on into the night but i love watching these sorts of films at night because it's like you know they kind of keep you on your toes in a way um and i mean for me like i i mean weirdly i did enjoy this film 
but at points not because it was a good film maybe because it was just absurd um you know um they are i mean i don't really have an issue with any of the acting um you know i didn't i mean um the script was yeah as you said like kind of all over the place uh the concepts are like mad there's some real b-movie moments which i thought were kind of hilarious i mean one doesn't even involve the monster but there's a point where chloe grace Moretz falls out the plane and there's another plane underneath that explodes oh yes and it flings her back onto the plane that she was on and when i saw that and she was and then she kind of like came back on she was like absolutely fine and like whoa and like just like wow, I've just fallen out of a plane and then been blasted back into it. Like, I mean, I laughed out loud at that. You know, um, you I probably did in the same way the guy, re- the character reacted who saw it happen. Yeah, exactly. The plane who saw it happen, and he he almost like laughed in amazement that this just happened in front of him. <laughs> yeah, and I, th- I think I think then he just gets like shot instantly by like the kind of Japanese guns as well. Yeah, that, yes, you know, yeah. Um, so like that moment, I mean, I have to say the kind of the scene with the gremlin as well. I mean, the gremlin is kind of like this relentless, like, twat, really. I mean, there's a point where they shoot him out of the plane and he seems to be lost. And then right at the end, he comes back, you know, for that sort of last minute twist that, you know, that you get in a lot of horrors and B movies. And I mean, that fight at the end, I thought was, again, like, kind of absurdly funny because, like, Chloe Grace Moretz having. Oh, done everything. I mean, at one point she sticks her finger in a lock so it doesn't open the door and, you know, it kind of breaks that. Um, but then by the end, she's so, like, you know, completely um, beaten True. up, you know. Uh, then, But then she goes on to fight this gremlin and kick its ass, really, even though the gremlin is, like, strong enough to pull a plane, like a door off a plane, you know. Um, so, yeah, at that point, I was kind of a little bit like, well, I'm not really sure what to, what is going on here, but it was kind of, yeah, fun to watch in a way. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, in terms of enjoyment over the Tomorrow War, I probably enjoyed this more than the Tomorrow War. Uh, like, Shadow in the Cloud, I felt, was a bit more... I mean, the first 50 minutes, like, I kind of like those films where you are, you know, it's very character-driven or script-driven, and you kind of learn something about these characters, and, or, and it, you know, everything takes place in one place. I thought that was quite, like, bold in a way um but also like a little bit like especially compared to the rest of the film because the rest of the film is like chaotic like being back on the plane and all the as you said there's your japanese planes fighting you know like firing at them and blowing things up and then you got the gremlin and then you got people dying and then like crash landing and it's like wow it's mad it, it but it's kind of like an entertaining watch really you know i mean it it, it is mad and absurd and kind of ludicrous i mean you really have to, you know, suspend a lot of belief. Um, and, I, you know, I felt that's where a lot of the negative reviews came from as well. The fact that they couldn't really get on board with, like, the themes of it that was, like, presenting. But, you know, by the end, I mean, you know, I was kind of... I, don't, I, I didn't really think of it as a horror. More of as, like, a kind of... I don't know, like a comedy thriller in a way. <laughs> I mean, but, like, also very serious, you know, with the... I mean, the, the whole kind of thing between, like, the baby and the, the the father at home. I mean, that's all like serious and presented very seriously. So like, again, kind of a silly, serious tone, but like, I felt that this was more balanced than the Tomorrow War in a way, because the Tomorrow War, it felt like, I don't know, the comedy lines were just like put in for the hell of it because they had like kind of comedy actors there. Whereas with this, it's like, just the situations are kind of absurd and kind of like laughable in some ways because it's just so ATT, but. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's an interesting film as well because it's got, like, some young talent. I mean, besides Chloe Grace Moretz, you've got, like, you know, Nick Robinson and, you know, a couple of other actors, you know, Taylor John Smith that you've, like, seen around in other, like, films. And also... Jurassic World, I believe, haven't you? Yeah, that's right, exactly. He's, like, the older brother, you know, who, when we did Jurassic World, I don't know, well, I, I, I didn't like him as the older brother in Jurassic World. I thought he was very cold. And actually, in this, he was, like, a better actor and kind of a bit more, you know... Um, had a bit more heart in a way, but it's also written by uh, Max Landis, you know, who, uh, along with the director Roseanne uh, Lang, Liang. Um, so you know, and Max Landis is the son of John Landis, and John Landis, you know, he he wrote like Blues Brothers and American Werewolf in London and like Coming to America and Beverly Hills Cop Three and things like that. I mean, he's like massive director, kind of screenwriter, and you know, his son as well has kind of 
written a few things. I mean, he did Victor Frankenstein. He did Bright with Will Smith. Um, he also did like Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. So he's done quite a few things and also had a lot of sexual <laughs> assault accusations leveled at him. So, yeah, I thought it was interesting that he kind of wrote this film about, um, you know, domestic situations. And yet he is dealing with his own domestic situations. Perhaps Max Landis is also wrestling with demons of his own. Let's say Ben, um, gremlin, yeah, the gremlins of his own, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. Overall, I mean, it's ridiculous, but it's kind of entertaining to watch. You know, like I think that's what we can like surmise from this. It's, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not sure if I'll be watching either. Kind of, you know, again, like right away. Um, I don't know, Shadow in, Shadow in the Cloud feels like the Shadow sort of film. Cloud feels like one of those films that if you're sitting there late at night and it just pops on and it's that's 20 it. minutes in, you're like, yeah, okay, I'll leave it on. Absolutely. That's exactly what I was going to say, Ben. It's just like one of those kind of fun like films that it's like, oh, it's on. Might as well kind of, you know, enjoy the madness while it's on. Um, Tomorrow War felt more like, you know, something that you have to sit down for and really kind of dedicate time to and like a cinema kind of big thing, but just feels kind of like it falls flat a, l a lot of the time, really. So, yeah, I don't know. Shadow in the Cloud, you know, for a tenth of the budget, it does, you know, it, it kind of, I, you know, and as you were saying, I think with monster films, like a big part of it is keeping up like a certain energy as well throughout the film. And I feel that Shadow in the Cloud does that better than Tomorrow mm -hmm. War. Um, but, you know, in terms of monster films, they're both kind of weirdly lacking in a way, I think. That like you've got these, they both have great monsters within them, but they're not the center of the story. Almost in a way, it's like yeah. they're like sharing the centerpiece with like all these other things going on. So, yeah, in terms of monster film, they they are entertaining, but they are not exactly about the. I mean, you know, Tomorrow War is more about the monsters, but we don't really kind of learn too much about them. And then Shadow in the Cloud is kind of about this. I mean, the monster is more like an addition, which makes the situation really complicated. Um, so yeah, interesting monster films in terms of you know the the new the new genre really. And I think this is what we were talking about before. You know, is that it's funny seeing monster films evolve in this direction. You know, that they are now. I mean, there's been so many that have been done in the past that like now I feel that it's almost like what else can we do with them? You know, like what other genres can we put them with, you know? And these are kind of like two examples where, yeah, they just really smashed them together really, haven't they? They pretty much have, they pretty much have. So like at the end of the day, it's very much, we feel with both, both films have a selection of flaws, um, but both films are definitely watchable and Shadow in the Cloud, is our recommendation. I would say probably the easier recommendation if it's late at night and you want to put a film on that you know is firstly not going to take up two, three hours and it's going to be entertaining for the craziness that it is, pop on Shadow in the Cloud because it's 80 minutes of just kind of insanity that tells you a particular story. <laughs> Don't you think? <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, absolutely for that. I mean, Tomorrow War is like the big feature that's something to watch maybe at home with like, I was going to say the family, maybe not for little kids as such, but um, it feels like more of a Sunday afternoon sort of thing where you can just, you know, sit and watch it. But yeah, uh, two similar films, but also, you know, meant for two different times, I think, you know, and, and yeah, I mean, let's see if there's a Tomorrow War 2 that we can like discuss maybe, you know, with a bit more context and, I don't think there'll be a sequel to Shadow in the Cloud. I mean, I mean, if there is, I'd... it's a one-story type thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I mean, who knows? You know, what other gremlins, you know, lay in U.S. aircraft? So you know, <laughs> that'd be interesting. But yeah, you know, uh, two different films with different times. But I think, yeah, like Shadow in the Cloud kind of just pips it for me because it's a bit more. Um, I think you know it, this is kind of the interesting thing as well. Maybe because of like you know the smaller budget, it's just like they have less to work with in a way. So it's like a bit more compressed into like one location, and that gives a bit more continuity in comparison to Tomorrow War, where it's like they seem to have like so much budget and that they could do whatever they want, and they kind of did that, but it just jumps around a lot, and you know. But anyway, you know, let us know what you guys think, and uh, you know, if you particularly loved or loathed either one. Yeah, and here we go, and we will see you soon for Marvel's What If, and even 
and very soon for Star Wars Visions. Hi guys, thanks for listening to another episode of Jedi Order Podcast. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe and may the force be with you. Bow, bow, bow.